can tell you a ton of things that are possibilities, but we cannot be precise or accurate in what's going to happen uh, because we don't know the future. We don't have that crystal ball. This week in group, you're going to have somebody who loses a child, and you're going to have to deal with the heartache found there, or somebody that just lost their job. Um, there's going to be varying levels of extremity when it comes to the stuff that we will experience in group life beyond just the laughs and the good times and the camaraderie. So we can know uh, what Jesus told his own small group. Um, in, in John 16, um, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. And I didn't have that on my list of wants for small group. Um, if you've read John 16, it is not a really encouraging passage of Scripture if you're just reading it from the surface. This is Jesus talking to his disciples saying, okay, here's what's coming. Um, I'm not going to be with you anymore. Uh, they're going to crucify me. They're probably going to kill you. You're going to run away. You're going to forsake the things that you knew. You're going to be scared to death. Uh, your lives will constantly be in danger. Uh, it's a pretty scary thing. And so Jesus makes us this promise. Thanks, Jesus. In this world, you will have many trouble. And I'm not looking forward to it at all. Um, but fortunately, he sandwiches this conversation, this, this short comment, in the midst of A and C comments in uh, John 16:33, And this is the beautiful part because he says, I have told you these things. So that in me, you may have peace. Now, I'm going back and I'm thinking, he just said, I'm going to die, you're going to die, we're going to be disbanded, you're not going to have me, I'm going to go away. Now, be at peace. Great, I'm calm already. <laughs> it's like having somebody come into my counseling practice and say, hey, this is going wrong. And I said, oh yeah, this is going to go wrong too. And yeah, this is going to, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it at all. It'll be all right. Um, but I, I really want you to dig in here a little bit because Jesus is trying to be very specific to the brothers he held most dear to him at a very critical time in his life when things were not going to go well. And I think this example is there because group, group life will resemble this at some point if you hang out long enough. So he says, in me, first of all, so it's not in you, so don't worry about your own performance here. So I want to take some of the pressure off because the, the pressure is really not on us. It's on Christ and he always comes through. And you can have that peace. And it says right up here, I'm going to use my little cool thing. It says you may have peace. It's not a guarantee that you'll have peace. We have to participate in that. We have to give over to Christ that desire for things to go well. We will have trouble. We can if we so choose. We can have peace if we focus on him right up here. He wants you to take heart, have courage. If you guys have led group or been in group, doesn't matter, either one, you realize that being transparent at some point is going to require you to have a little bit of courage. Um, not courage in what group will do, but courage in what Christ can do when we start to become transparent, when we start to really deal with the junk that's left over in our life. Because he's overcome it. So this is, this is what I, I consider this spot right here where he's talking to a small group of guys um, who eventually, after he says this, say, no, now you're not talking in metaphor. We finally get it. I can see Jesus going, oh, how many times have I had to say it? Um, but he's, he's being transparent with his guys. 
his close-knit group, the people he wanted close to him. Okay, so um, my, my summary of it is group life is expensive, but it's the best bargain you can find. It's going to cost you a lot because there's going to be time and there's going to be talent and treasure and there's going to be adversity and all of that stuff you're going to be asked to walk through. Um, I get excited about this because that sounds a lot like teaching. Uh, when I get up in front of the kids at Trinity um, and teach, I, I look at it as an opportunity to uh, expend time, talent, and treasure loving other kids. I get like uh, 45 to 50 small group members every semester that I get one-on-one time with, time for us to plug in. And psychology uh, tends to just be the format that I get to use to have that one-on-one connection. So during this time, I want to encourage you a little bit about being a part of a small group or leading small group or just investing somewhere in this kind of community. Okay. If you want that good stuff, here's the cost. Uh, the cost is that you're going to have to experience a little bit of brokenness. Uh, and usually that comes in your ears as, James, I've already had enough brokenness to fill a lifetime or two. Or I've already had to experience somebody in my group who's had enough brokenness to go through a lifetime or two. I don't want any more. Um, the beauty is that your brokenness will only be heavy if you try to bear it alone. When we start to disperse that out, it becomes a load that we can bear. It becomes something where we're not trying to be an isolationist anymore. We're not trying to float all the answers through our own brain. We actually have people we can bounce it off of, people we can trust. And that's all a part of being a part of this, this group experience. Bless you. Okay, so what does this look like? I want you to do a little imagining here, um, and it's not fun imagining, it's real imagining. Okay, so some of you have addressed some of these things. Let me say this ahead of time. Um, when, when you start dealing with people full time, um, you're going to run into stuff, and sometimes it'll hit really, really close to home. If, um, if I start speaking about an issue that hits close to home, you have to understand that one of those things that you can take away from this is I am not alone in this because it's a, it's a combined experience. I'm not talking specifically about anybody in this room or anybody outside of this room. I'm talking about life as we live it. So imagine this a little bit, what it takes. Um, what does it look like for a man or woman to end an affair and come clean? Not just say, I'm going to walk away and pretend like it didn't happen, um, but to stop going down that road of being unfaithful to their spouse and then deal with the aftermath of that and really try and restore relationship with their spouse. That is not an easy road for any one person to hope, no matter how much they've invited it on themselves. Most people don't enter into their wedding vows with the concept of, hey, I'm going to hang out here for a little bit until something better comes along, or I just want my marriage to last for a year or two. They go in thinking things are going to be great and end up in these really bad spots um, due to failure, little mini failures where they don't put good walls up in their lives. Um, So you've got to sit sit back a little bit and think of the cost that comes and the energy needed um, to really expend that in group, to be transparent with more than just one person. Uh, It's it's a dangerous place internally that, that takes a lot of risk. What about 
what it takes for somebody to rise from the depths of depression, one of the things that I tell folks that are really depressed, um, or people, more importantly, who are dealing with folks who are really depressed, is that when you're depressed, it does something to the way that you interpret information. It takes people, um, you know, when, when people are depressed, they frequently have somebody coming up and going, James, look, buddy, it's going to be okay. Tomorrow's a new day. This thing will happen. You'll find a new job. Um, there'll be a new morning that comes around where things aren't as bad as they used to be. And James, in the midst of his depression, is like, the kids in peanuts, and all, of he, all he hears is wah, 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 wah. That's it. He understands the words you're saying, but can't internalize it at all. Can't make real change. He can't hear, well, you just need to go exercise, or you need to think about positive things, read the scripture, pray a little, do all these things. He can't understand that and, and incorporate it into their life. There's this blockade that's there. So it means getting past that point. There's a lot he's got to put on the line before that's really going to be a transition point for him. Uh, what about the hoops? A person has to go to confront and overcome the grip of addiction. Regardless of what that addiction is about, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, um, TV, uh, whatever it is, when it is a strong addiction, uh, the concept of addiction is really amazing. The concept of addiction is that you cannot just walk away on your own power. And most addicts don't want to be addicts. Most alcoholics that come into my office say, I don't want another drink. And then they come in the next week and tell me how they had another drink. Even at the cost of their own family, their own friends, custody, jail time. They don't want to go down that road, but the cost of being transparent and vulnerable and open to accountability is so high that they can't envision doing anything else but going back to the bottle or going back to that thing that they can't get away from. The more accessible it is, the easier it is to say, okay, just this once. The more anonymous it is, the more easy it is to say just this one more time. That takes a lot for somebody to say, I relinquish my rights to someone else to judge whether I can do things or not do things. Um, when I'm dealing with pornography addictions, uh, frequently it requires that guy or girl to come in and say, okay, here's my phone, here's my computer, here's my tablet, here's all my access codes, I'm walking away. Somebody else lock it up because I don't have self-control. That takes a lot of work for somebody to have the gumption to give up their own personal freedom like that. These are the folks that we're dealing with in group. It's an everyday thing. Now, it may not hit that kind of severity, and please, Lord, let it not hit that severity before we are able to intervene with someone. All of those circumstances, you know, the therapist in me wants to say, uh, those folks will need some professional help. The, the descriptions that I gave you, those people will probably need some professional help. Um... But I'm going to say, first thing when they come into my office, what community are you a part of? So that means I'm turning them out my door and sending them back to you. Whether you are a group leader or a group member, they're coming back to you. That means I want you guys to have a certain skill set that allows you the opportunity to invest in their lives. That's the hope for today. Just that I can give you some small skill sets that you guys can adopt. Many of you already do these. Some of these I've stolen from you guys. 
So here this is a compliment. This is what happens. You learn this stuff from being in community, largely. Most of it didn't come from this big stack of books. Most of it came from seeing it lived out among this community here at River. In my community back at Grace. Um, You need to be equipped to do community, not therapy. So don't think I'm coming in here trying to make therapists out of everybody. um, Because I'm not. I don't want to put myself out of a job. Um, Hopefully, hopefully most of the folks we deal with won't be going through this intensive battle. And not everyone needs a therapist. Um, Work stress (laughs) are some of the things that we're going to deal with. Right? Um, Parenting issues. That was for you, Terry. Terry always tells me, not everybody needs a therapist. Right, James? I'm like, sure, Terry. Sure, Terry. Right. That'll be $120. Work stress, parenting issues, marital struggles, difficult extended family. Anybody have that? Um, Some stubbornness, just plain old stubbornness within the context of marriage. Just an unwillingness to yield a little bit. Uh, That's like, most of my clients hate the word yield because I use it so much. But much of our life is about yielding. And it's a tough one for James Anthony Smith to absorb. Just ask, don't ask my wife. Julie, just smile. There you go, perfect. I yield perfectly. Okay, so um, let, me, let me summarize a little bit of this stuff. Um, after years and years of therapy and teaching and living in group life, I have come up with two groundbreaking tools for just $9.99. You can, Julie will pass around an offering. But, um, these are complex, so you need to pay really close attention. I call them E and E. E and E, everybody should be writing this down at this point. Why why aren't you writing? It's not fair. I spent 14 years teaching high schoolers and doing therapy, and you're not writing down my E and E. This is groundbreaking right here. Here it is. Ears and empathy. Ears and empathy. Wow, that's not groundbreaking at all, James. Um, I'm going to start here because I think if you do not start here, you can't go anywhere from here you lose your opportunity to really be a part of that group in earnest. A depth that gets added to your group goes away because you don't possess these two qualities. My belief is that everybody has the ability to listen and love. I believe that. I think it's foundational for this church. To love God and make His love known to others means that we are present with people And you can't make his love known to others if all you do is put on a microphone or pick up a loudspeaker and scream out, Jesus loves you, don't forget. At some point, you have to listen to them. You have to hear what's going on in their life if they're ever going to believe that what you have to say is valid because they want to know that you understand them a little bit before you start offering all your solutions. And, And the vast majority of the time, Friends, you will not need to offer solutions. You'll need to offer love and listening ears. Being present in the moment as people struggle with things. Client after client after client comes in. And don't tell anybody this because I feel like I'm ripping them off. But they they figure it out on their own. They'll sit there and I'll go, "Uh uh-huh. Right. So, and before I can... Get it out there like, maybe I need to invest in community. I'm like, exactly what I was going to say. 
They figure some things out on their own just because they have somebody with ears open willing to listen that they know cares about them and will tell them if they have a really bad idea, don't do that. That's going to hurt. So you guys can step into group at any point, in any type of leadership position or non-leadership position and do ears and empathy. You can make that happen over and over and over again. And if you ask people who've been in group a long time, they will say the vast majority of group time is ears and empathy. And that equals laughter and it equals tears and it equals shared burdens. People healing because they believe people love them. Uh, when we look at what's going on with kids, um, one of the big booms in kids over the past decade has been this problem with attachment. The kids aren't feeling attached to their parents. The vast majority of kids who need attachment need ears and empathy. And they start blossoming in the midst of that when they have a trustworthy place to live, when they have trustworthy people to live with. Why should it be any different for us as children of God? So, let's start with that concept. Um, This means a willingness to sit and listen to their hurt. And it usually doesn't happen unless you sit and and listen before the hurt. Um, Now, there are always those folks that will come in to group the first time and they sit down and they start telling you about how their family just collapsed today and it's their first time at group and nobody knows their name even and they're telling you way more than you thought you ever wanted. You know the oversharers. That's me. I just feel like everybody knows me fantastically so I can share everything with everybody. But most people, normal people, expect to sit in group for a little bit and watch. And then they'll share a little bit. So I'm from Portland, Oregon. And they're like, oh, Portland, I've been to the Northwest, or I want to go to the Northwest. And we start interacting on this very basic basis before we're able to access some of the hurt that's going on in people's lives. So it means slowing that process down a little bit just so that you can listen before they start sharing the real stuff. Um, transparency, we talk about that time and time again at River, that one of the things we like to do well is um, show what's really going on in our lives rather than hide behind a facade. Instead of uh, displaying the, the top story, biblical stuff, and then living on the bottom story, we like to do the one story living, one of those hooks of Terry's, where what that's really saying is, I want what you see in me to be the real me, whether I'm standing here in front of you at church or whether you see me teaching at Trinity, or out on the farm, or in the therapy office, or at the grocery store. I want those to be the same people. A willingness to be real. Uh, Self-awareness of response. Um, I do a lot of coaching on self-awareness of the responses that you give. Nonverbals are huge. If you want people to trust you, and you want them to believe that your ears are open and that you really do have empathy, you're going to have to pay attention to what you're saying when you're not saying anything. Um, Our greatest problem is technology in this case because it totally distracts us from really making that one-on-one engagement. And if I could give you one tip, the first tip, leave your phone behind or shut it off when you have that opportunity for one-on-one connection. Make a, make a group policy where we just throw our phones off to the side. Um, or at least talk about, hey, let's just have a time where unless you're on call for something or if your wife is pregnant and she might have to rush out or you've got a sick babe, let's put our phones aside and just leave, let it be so that we can connect with one another. 
Because I, I watched the kids at, at lunch, and it blew my mind. I was sitting at, I sit at the kids' tables because the teacher table's boring. And so I sit with the kids, and I, we had this little tiny eight-person table and probably had 14 kids around this table. And I'm trying to carry on a conversation with some kid that's like four kids away. And I look up for just a second, I pause, and it's like everything kind of slowed down. And I watched 14 kids all talking at the same time while texting one another and nodding and just felt totally disconnected. Nobody was really listening to one another. They were all talking at one another, but nobody's really listening. And anybody who did have something important to say didn't feel like they were being listened to anyway because that person was going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Now, I got to hand it to our kids. They can multitask like nobody's business. I was so ADHD. I was like, it just sounded like I was in a tornado or something. I, I couldn't hear my own name. I couldn't hear myself speaking, much less anybody else. Kids are much better at it than, than our generation ever was. But at the same time, we need to feel like people are looking at us, knowing that we're looking back at them, absorbing what's important to them. It will mean that we have to put down the phone. Or focus. Julie just did this the other day. She, um, we were having a conversation with family. And somebody started to talk to uh, her. I can't even remember who it was that started to talk to her. And I, immediately in my head, I was like, why isn't Julie answering him? Why isn't Julie answering? And we talked about it afterwards. She said, I'm really trying to focus in on listening to Tom. Tom uh, is my father-in-law, and he's soft-spoken. Um, and sometimes people, when they, they'll just start talking, and it's real easy to talk over him. And she was really spending some time focused in addressing him. And I'm sure that if you asked him, he wouldn't have noticed it. But the whole, the whole of that is that Tom's going to feel cared for by Julie. And I know he does. He expresses it to me frequently. And I think a lot of that is because she takes that time to look at him in the eyes and really hear him out when he's trying to share what's going on in his life. Okay. Be compassionate, not comparative. My Least favorite thing to hear in the world when I share my heart with somebody is, you think that's bad? Well, I just, oh, my heart just broke. My plight in this world needs to be the most important thing in your life. And you need to express that it's the most important thing in your life, not tell me how your life is worse. We need that compassion piece. It's fine if we can take examples of how that's similar to what I saw over here, but tell me more about what's going on in your life. We have to... Show that compassion without telling people we know exactly how they feel. Because I've heard a lot. I've seen a lot. I've had a lot of clients come through my office. I've had a lot of students come through my classroom. And I still feel like I'm catching up. I still feel like each time I'm talking with somebody, their experience of a certain situation is totally different from the other one that I saw. So, so really work on focusing on that compassionate piece Okay, that's a black screen. We got screen anywhere? I need screen. No screen, no James. Otherwise, we're going to have to... I'm pressing go. Is it plugged in? Yes. Yes. Please. Oh, we're there. We're there. Okay. Scared me. Okay. 
Let me go back here. Okay, we're making it here. I'm just going to roll through. We're back on it here. Thanks for... Oh, you got it. Come on. Do I need to just bring it up here? All right. I want that one. You want to go forward? You want to just flick it for me? That's not working. I'm flexible. Please? Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> just what I wanted to hear, Rodney. <laughs> Hat tip. Hat tip. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. It's always good to have you guys around. Makes me feel so much better about my life. Oh, hey, why not? Okay, um, I'm just going to ask you to tap through it if you can. You, you sure? Okay, so I'll, I'll start talking about this one. Um, I, there's a slide before this, I believe, if you can get to it, but... Um, we need to focus in on what kind of responses that we can give that engage with that compassion. So I've thrown a couple up there. Um, this is not to say that you guys need this kind of remedial training, but sometimes it is outside of your box. So you're, you might have to think, I'm not a hugger, right, Julie? Right, she will give you a handshake any day of the week. Um, but, but there are times when Ju I've watched Julie really deal with compassion um, and recognize when somebody is and give them a hug, even though it's outside of her normal um, comfort zone, because she recognizes that that's what's needed in the moment. That's what's imperative to that person, to know that you're close and at hand and wanting to help. So I throw those up. Just spread out a little bit of thought pattern there. Um, Rodney, is it still spinning? Still spinning. This is killing me. Just here, I'll, I'm going to get it. So everybody hold tight for just a second. I'm going to bring it up here because I will not be able to follow my train of thought. This is why you always print them out, folks. All right. Maybe. Oh. All right. Now I have black screen of death. All right. Right? Deal with adversity as it comes flying at you. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you about, I'll go from memory here. <laughs> I fake it all the time, don't worry. Um, okay, so if we want to get to this point where we're going to uh, be able to have ears and empathy, we're going to have to really check something first, and that's, does the person desire anything more than that? Uh, that will be our, our check box. Uh, and you'll be able to tell if, if your ears are really open and you are listening. You'll be able to tell if they're interested in anything more. Uh, sometimes people just need the opportunity to vent. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Give them the opportunity to vent. If they decide that they want more than that, great. Then we t take it to the next level. Then we'll step in and say, okay, what, what needs to be covered from this point? So... When you're, when you're looking at folks that are struggling and they're open to it and they feel like they, they're experiencing compassion, 
then we start adding in some of the other layers of, um, of interest. And, I, and I'll say it with this caveat. Keep in mind that your response to people who are facing adversity will make a huge difference in their life, often more of a difference than anything that I can make in a therapy room. Uh, when I talk to folks that experience heartache, frequently I've, I've spoken with people who experience that heartache repeating itself over and over and over again through the body. Through a body of believers who does not focus in enough on grace and truth and empathy in the moment. We are really good as a, a big C church, not at River per se, although I'm sure it happens here, but we're really good at taking stuff and running with it in our own heads or among our own communities instead of showing grace and empathy to the folks who need it. Um, as people face adversity, and they're willing to put that on the table, we need to be a body of believers that says, I realize they've struggled in the past, but let's hang on that traditional hook from Terry again, that we're about direction, not perfection, and that folks that are hurting are going to show a directional attitude. They're not going to show perfect. They can't show perfect anymore. Just like we can't show perfect. We are all broken vessels. Or crackpots. You ever think about We're a bunch of crackpots. Everybody's a broken vessel. So we're going to have to deal with other people who are crackpots as well. People who are a little bit broken. And it is through that humility that we put on that we have the opportunity to love somebody through adversity or to cause more injury by holding it against them. Uh, one of the reasons why Julie and I attend River is because we've always felt that when Terry or Jim or Rodney or any of the guys up here um, or any of the ladies that have come up here and sp spoke, that they're always speaking from a perspective of Christ is doing this in my life. This is an active work of God in my life, not a finished work of God in my life. I don't stand up here elevated above you for any other reason so other than because I want you to hear me, not because I find myself above you personally. That I'm a broken vessel. That Terry speaks time and time again about the ways that God has taught him, not how he did it perfectly. That's important for me. I think that's one of those pieces that I transition into my work often. I don't know how many times I've stolen that from you, Terry. I give you credit. But I, I steal it from you all the time, that we have to be about direction, not perfection. It gives the clients just an opportunity to say, okay, I don't have to have done it perfectly. I don't have to have a perfect marriage up to this point in order for people to love me. I can be involved in group and people can be empathetic. Um, so, so put on that, that cover of humility. Now, as far as some tangible take-home pieces, let me, let me tell you a couple of the, my favorites here. Uh, I'm going to start with my favorite that I got from River, um, outside of sermons. Uh, this was one that I sat in and got from a training much like this one. And um, this is a hat tip to Rusty Cryer, because I steal your work all the time, too. Um, and I know that you, you hat tip to your bride, too, on this one. But one of the things that I ask people to do is slow down. Don't try and take it all on at once. And handle one issue at a time. Uh, Rusty said in that session, he said, the, the straw never breaks the camel's, I'll rip this up, but the straw never breaks the camel's back if you keep unpacking the camel. And um, when, when clients, people, group members, 
family believe that they can deal with one issue at a time. We can slow the world down enough just to deal with their moment and what's going on with them at the moment. They feel like things are manageable. Likewise, in your marriage, in your relationships, when conflict comes, if instead of deciding everything we has to be solved tonight, we just take on that one issue and we just work on one thing at a time and then when we get that solved, we unpack it and put it away, that we have a lot more accessibility to deal with other things as they come along. And we don't feel so burdened by this great big monster of a problem. So slowing the process down, unpacking the camel, that helps a ton. Um, Rusty, I also tell people you only get to take on one per night. Now, that was something you told me a couple years back, that you just try and take on one per night if you can. Um, and I think that helps folks. When you're dealing in group life or when you're dealing with your friends or spouses, don't try and... Once you get that one straw unpacked, let's go to another straw and let's go and let's go. Slow it down. Take your time and work through issues and then let there be some resolve there so you can feel like our, our relationship is moving. Um, I, I do think that, and I, I don't know who to credit for all the things that, um, that I use in therapy or that I use in group, but I do know that I've sat back and I've watched some folks and I think that you guys have great opportunity at this church to watch folks move and act and live and breathe in community. I've watched Kevin and his bride go for years and years and years, and I've seen the outcomes of that in my own groups. I've had people in my groups that say, I was with Kevin's group for a long time, and it was great. I got fed this, or I went to the Longhoffers and talked to them last night about this one issue that I was trying to figure out. And I hear how River has created this environment of people that are available and have their ears open and empathy running. And they employ a lot of tactics that, that really work. Um, so so uh, unpacking the camel is one of them. But recognize a lot of this stuff comes from the people around you. Um, a, another, another one. Um, so uh, how, most of us have heard of that book, Love and Respect, right? Okay, so my, my office is full. This is like one shelf. Um, of book, uh, f- from my office, and um, love and respect is sure, surely one of those because it's widely accepted. And what I found is that people really love being loved and respected, and they don't like being told to love and respect because being told to love and respect really hurts. Um, and ultimately, it, it deals with that big triangle yield sign uh, where we have to say, okay, I yield. I'm, I'm going to stop taking the focus on me and start putting it on your needs. So my takeaway from that is when we deal with people in group, relationships, um, anywhere you go, if you choose to show love and respect both to those people, they will really appreciate that and feel like you're a comrade in arms, like you're willing to listen, like you're willing to come on board with them and help. If you expect it from people and demand it from people, you're probably going to separate yourself. You have to show the world that you're willing to to yield. And I, I, I keep saying I want to get like a laminated yield sign or actually buy a big one and put it on my office door because I, I have to tell myself that all the time. And I fail at it miserably over and over and over again. It's part of why I need group just as much as anybody else does. Um, I think that those, those are important pieces, learning to yield. Uh, a couple other tidbits. Uh, most of you have heard of the guy Stephen Covey uh, wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, I think, I believe Stephen Covey's a Mormon, but he's a well-respected businessman. Uh, while he was alive, he was, 
sold, I don't know how many, 14 million of that book. It was tons. People all over the world appreciate his view of business. I appreciate some of the things that it adds towards relationship. He talks about this thing called proactivity and reactivity, and those are fancy words for saying, help people, help yourself, first of all, not approach life as a victim. Um, You kind of discussed a little bit about that last night, Terry, when you were talking about get out of your head and into your life. Um, This concept of everything is happening to me and there's nothing I can do about it puts you in a really helpless state. If you approach it that way, other people will approach it that way too around you. If you talk and help people reframe when they're open to it about how they can impact their situation rather than how they are a victim to their relationship or, or just that's all this stuff is just happening to them and they're helpless in that. If you can start talking about what are the steps that you got to work on in your life uh, or what are the steps that you need to do in this relationship right here, um, we can make a lot more progress. People start revisioning the things that they want to do in their life. Instead of just seeing the bad circumstances that they're in, they start seeing the way that they can impact the circumstances they're in. Um, this comes, and I'll, and I'll throw in Covey's one other issue that I come back to, which, which leans on this concept of action. Um, I'm an action guy. I believe that families and relationships benefit when people get put into action. And if I could give you a word, I'd say encourage people to act. Um, while you're telling them to slow down and focus on one thing, tell them to act on that one thing. Um, Covey talks about, he gives this example in his book about um, how he's approached at a conference that he was giving on this proactive, reactive language stuff. And the person came up and he said, uh, Mr. Covey, I think uh, that what you're talking about is great. I love it. It makes a lot of sense. But uh, my wife and I, uh, we're just not in love anymore. We've got kids. I'm really worried about it. I don't, I don't know what to do. We've just fallen out of love. And Stephen says, so you don't love each other anymore? That's right. And, and I'm lost. And I, I don't know how all this stuff plays into it, but I need some help. And he says, well, then you should love her. I looks at him and says, um, no, no, you missed what I'm saying. I'm saying we don't love each other anymore. Her, I, we don't love each other anymore. Well, well then you should love her. No, you're not listening to me. I mean, he was feeling like the ears were closed, empathy not there, and maybe the empathy wasn't. Because he's looking at him and saying, well, what you need to do is love. And he's like, how do you love when you don't love? And then he got to the real poignant question. He said, love her by serving her, respecting her, admiring her, taking care of her, protecting her. Conduct the verb love before you start looking for the feeling love. Because the feeling love follows the verb love. If we do not get into that position of action where we are acting out on things that we're not feeling yet, and you guys will recognize that as being part of the the Christian walk, we frequently have to do things because we know it's right, but we're not quite feeling it yet, and we step in line, and start doing those things. Amazing how God starts transforming our heart. They won't hear that unless they believe you're listening to them and experience empathy towards them. So he's an action man. Arter Burns the same way. The reason why every man's battle did so well was because he gave men a plan of action to deal with their pornography addiction. 
He talked about how do you deal when you, you're driving down the road and you see something that you're not supposed to be looking at and you're doing everything to convince yourself of things that you have to look at over here. It's crazy. So Stephen says, um, well, what you need to do is work on bouncing your eyes. It's an action thing. You move your eyes to something else and when you find yourself going back, you bounce back and you bounce back. People found there was something tangible something workable that they could do. There was a plan of action. And that made his book stick. Most of these books up here are all about action. They're about creating an idea that is followed by an action. They're about creating love, respect, admiration from action circumstances. When uh, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart, talks about Um, what people need. Um, I haven't talked about this in a while, so I'm kind of pulling it. He says, uh, guys want a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. Um, And that women have a corresponding thing. They want to be fought for, and they want an adventure to share, and they want a beauty to unveil. All of those pieces are action. They're action so that we can create love in these environments. So when we're talking about general things, how do we live in ways among a community of believers? We should be action-based people as soon as we're invited. Kevin, just as a marker to you, the reason why Kevin has been successful as a group leader um, is not because Kevin would attribute it all to his grandiose interventions and his phenomenal problem-solving all at once. It's because he had ears to listen, empathy, a big heart, and a willingness to move when the time called. The other thing was, he didn't just leave it there. The biggest thing that I hear about you, Kevin, is that you follow up with guys. So don't be a person that declares action towards people and then says something like, yeah, why don't you read that book? I'll see you in a month. And then walk away. Kevin does life on life just like the Longhoffers and so many others out there, so many of you that decide, I'm going to ask somebody about this and then I'm going to chime in. Last thing, I'm going to, last little tidbit, um, deals with one of my, the the terms that I think just kind of nails on the chalkboard for me. Um, Accountability. Um, And what the Christian world has done with accountability. Um, Accountability has become... Uh, something totally different than what I think it was intended. The first time I ever heard about it was at like a Promise Keepers thing in like 95 or something like that where they were starting to talk about men holding each other accountable. We had these cards with questions on them. It was a great idea. I mean, really asking substantive questions about what are you doing in your private life. Uh, Be real with me for a moment. Let's see where we can go from here. Um, But we've lost sight of that. And some of it's because we do a great job as Christians. We all, me too, uh, do a great job of Christians is putting up this facade of everything's great. I've got my nice shirt, show up church, do the social thing, put on my smile, show up at group. Hey guys, everything's going. What it turns into is this phenomenal brand of cheerleading. That's what it is. I mean, I, I, I think sometimes we should just invite the Trinity Cheer Squad to our small group. And then every time somebody says something that they screwed up, well, uh, yeah, guys, I, I kind of looked at some stuff I shouldn't have looked at this week. 
I want them to come running in. You can do it. You can do it. Go, go, go. You can do it. You can do it. Team. Because that's what the guys are saying. Oh, come on, man. You can do better than that. How about this week? Let's do better this week. Or when it comes down to bigger things, like I just don't know if I want to be married anymore. Come on, man. You can love your wife. Let's go. It's all cheerleading. Instead of saying, okay, you took that step. You decided that you're going to be vulnerable right now, and I'm assuming you're being vulnerable because you want difference, not just because you want the same old, same old week after week to come in and tell us how you looked at porn every single day this week, every week that you come in. If you want something different, let's do something different. What's the cost? So if I really love you, if you're in my group and a brother in Christ and I really love you, am I willing to walk that walk with you? What's it going to cost you now? You decided to look at that. How are you going to make it right? That's my transition statement. How are you going to make it right? How are you going to make this up to your family? And really doing accountability as it was designed instead of the cheerleading role that it's become. That's hard to do. It takes time to invest in group before you have that, that money in the bank, that emotional bank account full enough that you can call people out like that. And I would encourage you to do that one-on-one. One-on-one. Living life-on-life with people like we're choosing to do at River, um, as Terry has said the past couple sermons, it's messy. It is messy. Praise God it's messy, because now I feel like everybody's got the same mess I got, um, and that we all have to work through it together, that we can experience grace, and I can walk hand-in-hand with brothers who stumbled last week, and I love them just as much this week as I did last week. I don't care what their stumbling was, because they picked up and said, I want better. Um, There is something beautifully um, gratifying and tremendously blessing about being able to walk alongside somebody who's struggling and watch them recover and hear that thank you. I will tell you that it's one of the reasons why I love doing therapy and it's why I love being in kids' life um, out at Trinity. Because uh, I get a walk with them during those times and I get a thank you at the end and God just fills my cup with that. Um, I'm convinced that this body that we, get a, that we get a worship together with, that we get to learn together with, that we are profoundly good at this concept. And I want to be a resource to you. Um, and I know that the, the pastoral staff here wants to be a resource to you. And small groups, uh, we want to be resources to one another. Uh, I've talked time and time again to my, my team over at Heritage. Um, and I think we're going to have about 15 therapists by the end of the year. Um, and all of them are willing to be on the phone with group leaders who have to staff something. Like, hey, this came up, I have no idea what to tell the person. I don't know what to do in this. And they're willing to stand in the gap with you um, if you'll pick up the phone and call. Uh, They don't expect anybody to have to come in for therapy. They don't want insurance. They don't want a payment. They just want to be able to intervene at the lowest possible level because our job as believers has to be helping people where they're at, not waiting until things get so bad we've got to call a therapist. Not that I don't want you to come in. I'm handing out my card at the end, and we'll be taking credit cards. Um, But what we do here matters, and it intervenes at the earliest possible level when we're living life on life. So if you give your heart to that, and you're willing to be available and humble 
with ears open and empathy wide, um, those pieces will come together as you give it time and we live life online. Let's pray about it.